Women on the Rise is supported by The Riveter, a modern union for working women, offering content, community, and co-working spaces, all designed with a focus on women and work. I've been a member of The Riveter since nearly the beginning and have proudly watched them expand from Seattle to cities around the country. You might even remember that their CEO and founder, Amy Nelson, was my very first guest on this podcast. Countless collaborations and friendships have come from my kitchen conversations and post-event chats with my fellow Riveters, both women and men. The Riveter believes that equity and opportunity should be a reality, not a promise. Visit www.theriveter.co to learn more. And by Armoire. Do you love variety but hate the clutter and expense of new clothes? That is totally me. So I just signed up for Armoire, a clothing rental service for today's boss lady. Armoire gives me access to designer clothes I can exchange on my schedule for a flat monthly fee. I get access to a guilt-free flow of new clothes without the hassle of shopping or dry cleaning. You can ask anyone. I hate shopping. Women on the Rise listeners can try Armoire today for $100 off your first month using code WOTR100. That's WOTR100. Visit www.armoire.style to get started. In whatever sphere we have privilege, that's the thing that we're the most blind to. So as somebody who is straight and, you know, cisgendered, a lot of times, especially in my early 20s, I would see somebody who was queer get bullied and not really know the language because I'm not getting discriminated on the basis of my gender or my sexual orientation, right? So I think the first thing is like recognize that like a lot of things are structural and that like your work is to change those structures. The second thing is yeah, like do an audit, you know, get in touch with yourself. Are you the person that says, I, you know, I'm a feminist, but then actively works to make things harder for women of color in your organization? Welcome to Women on the Rise. I'm executive coach and lifestyle expert, Lara Dolch. And each week I talk to thriving women about the practical self-care strategies they use to fuel their success and pursue what's most important to them in their careers and lives. We get real about topics like healthy eating, exercise, sleep, stress, time management, happiness, mindset, and productivity, while busting myths about work-life balance and being perfect along the way. My goal each week is to uncover new insights that you can immediately apply to your life to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. Hey, podcast listeners, another quick reminder as September comes to a close that if you're working on any big goals this fall and maybe feel like you don't have the energy and confidence you'd like to achieve them, I might be able to help you out. I work with women like you who need to prioritize feeling good so they can get that more they want out of career and life. I help them overcome their personal obstacles to eating better, exercising more, managing time and stress. And then we create a plan, I call it the Vibrant Health Playbook, for working towards a big personal goal. If that sounds like something you could use, I invite you to check out my eight-week Vibrant Health Playbook signature coaching program by visiting lauradolch.com slash Vibrant Health Playbook. If you're curious about what it might be like to create your own Vibrant Health Playbook, you can also check out my interview with my client, Amy Lorimer, on the podcast last season. Amy is a counselor, teacher, and mother here in Seattle. And during our chat, she shared 
shared her journey inside the Vibrant Health Playbook program and how she finally realized that turning inward and taking care of herself first allows her to tackle challenges in her life in a calmer and more effective way. I'd love to support you in doing the same thing. You can get all the details of that program at lauradolch.com slash Vibrant Health Playbook. So I don't know about you, but as a straight, white, cisgender woman who grew up with some degree of privilege, I sometimes struggle with how to best be an ally to women of color and other underrepresented groups. And in our current political environment, simply being a good friend just isn't enough. So my interview this week felt deeply personal. Sage Kiamno and Aparna Ray are founders of Future for Us, a company dedicated to accelerating the advancement of women of color through community, culture, and career development. We talked about why and how diverse communities drive innovation and change, how Aparna's advice to women of color in the workplace has changed, and her number one tip to them now, what it means to be a white ally to women of color and other underrepresented groups, and three specific things you can do to be a better ally, and of course, how Sage and Aparna recharge in very different ways so that they can move forward in their work. I learned so much during my chat with Sage and Aparna. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Thank you, ladies, so much for taking the time to talk to me. Yes, of course. Thank you for inviting us. We're really honored. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as I was telling you before we started recording, I have been aware of your organization, Futurist, for a little while. Just, you know, I'm a member of the Riveter and, you know, we all kind of run in the same circles here in Seattle. So I was excited to meet you, Sage, recently. And Aparna, I'm just thrilled to to meet you as well. So let's start here. You know, this is kind of a, a big place to start, but it's a theme that I saw showing up both in the materials for future for us and also I think a part of in your work specifically, but I'm curious about this intersection of diversity, innovation, and social change and how you see these things supporting and feeding each other. You know, I think that when I think about innovation and social change, I think it's so important that people who are part of our communities at large have a voice in the change that's being envisioned. We also know that voices and diverse perspectives coming from a diverse group of people solve problems better and drive organizations to innovate in ways that are sometimes not thought of by a more homogenous group. So I think that, you know, diversity, innovation, and social change are all a part of a bigger whole. Yeah. And it's funny, I, I wish I could remember, I'm totally drawing a blank on the name of the, do you all ever listen to the the podcast On Being, Krista Tippett? It's a PRX produced show that's been on for like, it's a project that's been going for a couple of decades. Anyway, the author that she was speaking to, whose name escapes me, was talking about, you know, social change and the fact that we sometimes kind of forget to ask the people who we're trying to help what they need <laughs> and what might help them, you know, and, and sort of we kind of swoop in and, and sort of assume that we have the answers. Is that something that, that you um, see happen? And can you talk about how you all are trying to do things differently, maybe? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. You know, so before I say anything else, I'll say that like context also really, really matters. And so when we think about what is diversity, equity, and inclusion in the American context, it's really different than how things play out 
in other places in the world, right? And like in the American context specifically, we know that there are like very specific groups who've, you know, been pushed out of the rooms and have been left out when really important decisions have been made, right? And we know that like those two groups specifically are Native Americans and Blacks. And so, you know, when I think of like social change and like I've spent the bulk of my career in in philanthropy and in, in education, I think about the people that are making the decisions so rarely looking like the population that's being served. And so part of the reason for our starting future for us was looking at a landscape where so many of the women's empowerment organizations and female-focused future of work conversations were still very much focused on the needs and experiences of white women at work. There's rarely a conversation that centers the experiences of women of color. And when you look at organizations that are working to advance people of color at large, women of color, once again, are kind of, you know, one part of the mix and there isn't really a specific call to action for that community. So we started Future for Us because we knew that it was so important for us to design solutions with and for women of color, that we needed to be engaging companies in collecting data and doing research, not about women at large, but about women of color specifically, and try and get to the heart of, you know, what are the things that are going to, let's say, work for somebody who's a first-gen Latina versus um, someone like me who had a really international upbringing and came to America in her teens and very much, you know, has both like this American identity, but also the immigrant identity. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's interesting to hear you say that because I, it's like, so people who, well, just like I was saying, you know, people who aren't in the community that you're speaking of trying to solve problems when they don't necessarily have the, the firsthand experience of that community. And then on the flip side, I feel like, and I'm curious to know your perspective on this, you know, I've heard people feel frustrated with the fact that, you know, whether it's women or women of color or other underrepresented groups feel frustrated that they feel like they have to do the heavy lifting in terms of educating other people about what it is that they need. How do you where do you see the balance with that, I guess, in terms of the response, you know, like who, whose responsibility is it, if that makes sense? I mean, we would say that it's everybody's responsibility. You know, one of the questions that you shared with us ahead of time was like, what are some practical ways that women of color can advocate for themselves in the workplace? And over the years, you know, I've often advocated for women to learn how to negotiate their salary or manage up. And I think that now in my mid 30s, the advice that I give to people starting out in their career and to women of color at large is find that amazing kick-ass white ally. You know, they may be a white woman, they may be a white man, but make sure that like you find an incredible white ally because they are actually going to be your biggest asset in navigating what is often a really hostile work environment. And that actually is like the best use of your time and like the biggest way that you can advocate for yourself is with your champions and your sponsors within an organization. Yeah, yeah, totally. Can you talk a little bit about what that means to be an ally in that context? I'm gonna pass, I'm gonna pass this off to Sage. Yeah. 
Yeah, Sage, what are your thoughts on that? And because and, I think that that's a question that comes up. Um, certainly, it's come up for me, and I'm, I'm sure many of my listeners struggle with that too. What, yeah, what does that mean to be an ally? Definitely. So, being an ally means understanding, um, you know, your position, your your power and your privilege. So taking a note of what are the resources, what are the networks, what do you have within your own sphere, right? In your position at, at work, in your position in your community. Are you know, are you a leader that has access to capital? Are you a leader that um, makes decisions within a company? And what it means to be an ally is to not only take a note of that, but second is to invest in your education. Investing in your education means, you know, reading, reading books, listening to podcasts about race, about history, and also, you know, thinking about um, um, unconscious bias training uh, management courses. So really in taking the time to invest in that education and not only understanding that just because you take a class on unconscious bias training doesn't mean that you're, this is solved, right? Understanding that being inclusive is a daily practice that every day you have to think about, you know, what are you doing today to include someone or something? Um, what, are the, what are the decisions that you're making? And also the third, third thing about being an ally is to um, amplify marginalized voices. So, you know, for instance, like yourself, you are choosing to create a platform for women to talk about women's issues and amplifying two women of color founders around art stories. And also what are the challenges and barriers of women of color? So making sure that if you are an ally within a company or an organization, or even in your own communities, what does it mean to give access to somebody else, whether it's telling their story or letting them tell their stories or building a platform for that. I mean, that's kind of how we identify an ally and that's how we've seen it so far. Yeah, I love that. And I love what you said about being inclusive as a daily practice that I find that especially helpful because you know, it's, it's so true and it's not something that is, that is ever completely solved, at least not in probably in our, in the near future, unfortunately. But can you talk about in terms of specific resources that people can go to in terms of the education piece of it and also how to take that education piece into their day-to-day? Because to your point, like doing a training, it doesn't really, you know, it's like you can do a training and then you can keep living the way that you've been living. So can you maybe tell some stories about how people have done that and then taken it into their day-to-day work in a, in a bigger way? Oh, that is a really hard question. Um, <laughs> that's what I do, Aparna. I yeah. ask hard questions. <laughs> um, we'll send you a bill for our services uh, later. You know, I think the starting point for everybody is so very different. And so that makes it hard to really say like, you know, these are the three things everybody should do. Um, but on the the self-education front, I think the first thing that you have to do is you have to come out and say that I believe that inequity is structural. You know, I, I believe that like racism is structural, gender inequality is structural, and that I, as an individual, can do a set of things, but really my work is to move the institutions that essentially operate all of our lives, right? And so I think individuals, a big thing in the Pacific Northwest that I've noticed not being from here is our super passive aggressive communication norms, right? And a lot of social justice activists would say that it's, you know, a kind of white silence where people that have privilege and, you know, like, I don't want to make it about race explicitly, but I think 
in whatever sphere we have privilege, that's the thing that we're the most blind to. So as somebody who is straight and, you know, cisgendered, a lot of times, especially in my early 20s, I would see somebody um, who was queer get bullied and not really know the language because I'm not getting discriminated on the basis of my gender or my sexual orientation, right? So I think that for a lot of like really great progressive white folk in the Pacific Northwest, they don't have the language. And also because they believe in like being nice, we're not addressing things as they come up. So I think the first thing is like recognize that like a lot of things are structural and that like your work is to change those structures. The second thing is yeah, like do an audit, you know, get in touch with yourself. Are you the person that says, I'm a feminist, but then actively works to make things harder for women of color in your organization? You know, like, are you the kind of leader that tells a black woman that she can't wear her hair naturally? Or are you the kind of leader that, you know, continuously stalks the snack cabinets with like, I don't know what I would call boring snacks, like granola bars, or like, are you making an effort to make like the snackage inclusive, whether it's having like gluten-free and vegan options or like culturally diverse options for people to snack on, right? Like little things and big things both matter. And then I think that tactically, you know, if I was going to give people some advice and if your listeners are mostly in the greater Seattle area, one of the things that I highly recommend is the Wing Luke Museum's redlining exhibit. It's, it's incredibly powerful. They're showcasing the ways in which our city was segregated and it's sort of, you know, puts to bed a lot of myths that we have about our like nicey, nice Seattle culture. Mm -hmm. um, Sage and I have both been listening to another podcast called Seeing White. It's produced by Seen on Radio. And they have a series on race. And they have also a series called Men. It's, it's literally titled M-E-N. Um, and both of those series, I think, provide the historical context in which race comes about in America and also in which masculinity starts to get defined. And so those are two things that I would highly recommend. And then, you know, the third thing is like, do an audit of your life. Audit your social media. Are you sharing things mostly written and produced by white folk? And what would it mean to amplify the voices of people of color? Do an audit of like where your free time is going. Are you mostly in community and organizing with and for white people or with people that share your privilege? Or are you taking time to organize with and for people that have a historically marginalized identity. And, you know, like, I think the thing that we say often at Future for Us is like, take a stand and step up. There's no allyship if you're not willing to take a risk. You know, allyship isn't just like posting articles about Trump's bad behaviors. Allyship is like pointing out John's bad behavior in your office. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, no. And it's, I mean, it's, to me, it feels, and this is an oversimplification, but it's sort of like, if you say that this is one of your values, then 
then you need to live into that. And I think that's something that we all, as you said, especially in a culture here in Seattle that tends to be more passive. It, I think it's an amplified problem here, but I think in general, it's a, it's a reminder that no, you got, you can't just sit there. <laughs> like you have to, you know, whether, whether your value is diversity or anything else, like, you know, action is what demonstrates that. So thank you for, for sharing those resources and, and for, and for that reminder, really. I'm curious, Sage, maybe you can talk a little bit about future for us is approach advancing women of color and the way that you frame it is through community, culture, and career development. Can you talk about what that looks like in practice and why you think those three elements are the key to creating change? Definitely. So future for us, our mission is to advance women of color at work through community, culture, and career development. As you said, um, we work with individuals and companies to create, to advance women of color at work. Um, So what we do is that when we thought about what are the elements, what are the pillars that women of color use to support themselves in their careers? And we thought about, you know, what are the cultural contexts of, you know, you, thinking about your culture. When we think as women of color professionals, we oftentimes lean onto our culture. And what does culture mean within a company? You know, if we have our natural hair and it's not, you know, if natural hair is not, quote unquote, a professional like look, what does that mean? But also how do we bring culture into companies? Um, and then how do we have an open discussion about our cultures? Because even within our communities of women of color is that we all, we, we come from diverse backgrounds from, you know, we're often immigrants and first gen. And how do we have that conversation about culture and how does that culture connect us? So that's culture. Community is creating that platform for all of us to have this discussion, building a strong community of networks, whether it's a personal board of directors, right? Like how does a a woman of color or any woman professional create a personal board of directors and through the networking opportunities. And what often holds us back is that we are not invited or have access to these closed doors meetings or happy hours or golfing trips, right? Like we have to create our own communities because oftentimes it's not, these communities, these silos are not created for us and how do we create our own access to each other and for us it's like the amplification and the access next is the career and that's where we advance career development meaning we host probably two or three events a month where we just launch our salary negotiation classes our monthly salary negotiation classes at general assembly we had a personal branding um workshop lab couple months ago and we last week we had a social media strategy for your career workshop so we host monthly events here in Seattle to build individual capacity and build the soft skills that are needed to advance at work so when we think about community culture and career these are the three pillars of which our work is continued in the programming the this is how we think about um, how we build our platform and a part I can explain a little bit more she can go deeper into it too because I know she has her own perspective as well well, and I'm curious, actually, either one of you maybe can answer. This is a pretty simple question, but I'm curious in terms of the um, folks that come to your events, do you find that it's mostly women of color or is it a mix of people or how has that played out? I'm just curious. Great question. I would say that in terms of the women of color that are part of our community, we see a really nice mix of first gen immigrants, Americans across the age spectrum, you know, because Future for Us focuses its efforts for early and mid-career women, you know, our like target audience really is like the 23 to 35, 36 year old, because we know that it's hard getting that first amazing job. And then it's hard staying in those roles beyond middle management that, you know, women of color are paying all kinds of penalties. But I think if I was going to simplify it, I would say that we pay a caregiving penalty. We do more 
housework than our white peers. We have responsibilities to our families and our extended families. And so that really complicates things. Plus, I would say that, you know, there's always like a work environment that can often be hostile. Outside of that, we see people of all ages, races, ethnicities at events that are open. And and what's what's funny is that when we first started Future for Us, our first event was called the State of Women of Color and it, and it brought together data, storytelling, and lots of solutions. And it was only open to women of color and explicitly we wanted to create a space for women of color. And within a week of launching that event, we heard from allies that they wanted to be part of those conversations as well. So what's what's interesting is that like while we're building for women of color and creating pathways for their advancement, that like this work, like we're living it with our allies and champions as well. Yeah, I love that. I'm I'm really glad to hear that. And I think, you know, as someone you know who's trying to be an ally, I can def- definitely relate to that and wanting to be part of those conversations, you know, to educate myself and and so so I guess I'll just say thank you for that because I think providing that platform is really really important right now. And you know, I'm curious because because the frame of my work to a large degree falls under the the broad umbrella of self-care and and I I define that term very broadly. I'm curious how you think or if you think that should be part of the women's leadership and diversity and inclusion conversation and if so how it fits in. That's such a hard question. That's such a hard question. You know, like we get asked this question about self-care a lot. And my personal opinion is that like self-care is contextual. What, you know, I think that there's this idea that self-care looks like getting pedicures and having a massage and having some like downtime on the couch and like that very well maybe self-care but I think even as two co-founders you know Sage is extremely extroverted and like gets a lot of energy for being from being out with people and and I don't so for me like self-care looks very different I think it it is often is spending some quality time with like really good friends, cooking. I think also self-care looks like doing my laundry on the weekends so that I feel prepared for the week. In the in the larger like in the larger context of like women, women of color, women at work, diversity, equity and inclusion, I think like at the end of the day, we really have to ask ourselves like what is worth building? in a work week that allows us to both give our best to our companies and also our best to our families or to our lives, right? And if the way in which you generate revenue as an organization is by exploiting the labor of individuals, then that's deeply problematic, right? So like our whole five-day work week came about um, during the industrial revolution when people said like, no, I'm not going to work, you know, 16-hour days, seven days a week, like that's not reasonable. So we get our five-day work week. And now I feel like we're at a point again where we really need to have that conversation, both from like, 
uh, public policy from, but also for like organizations and individuals to say that, you know, it's not about pedicures and spa dates. It really is about like, my mental and emotional well-being and my ability to like do my best work without having to choose between my work and my life. Absolutely. I could not agree more. And I thank you for so, for so eloquently sharing that because I think, you know, unfortunately the term self-care has, to your point, it's been become trivialized and it's never the way that I mean it. I have always meant it in the way that you described, which is a much broader and more elemental, I think, way to look at it. And and absolutely, you know, as far as it's interesting what you said about the the five day work week and, and really getting down to that layer of depth. Um so thank you for sharing that as well. I and I I by the way, doing laundry on a Saturday for sure this past weekend that was very important for me. I get that. <laughs> Sage, what about you? What do you do for self care that maybe you know wouldn't necessarily be defined as self-care by everyone. Yeah. So my, you know, my self-care, this has been, um, I'm a first time entrepreneur. This was my first go around and we've been going hard at this from zero to a hundred since uh, Thanksgiving of last year, 2018. And it has been a, you know, it's been a struggle of mine of really finding that balance. And what I do for self-care is definitely different. Um, I find a lot of the times of filling up my cup with people. Um, I also love what really gives me inspiration and energy to continue forward with my work is looking at past reading and listening and watching um, past women of color leaders and women leaders before us, you know, for me to watch uh, Nina Simone, her interviews back in the 19, like 70s, having to see uh, Oprah being challenged on 60 Minutes uh, in 19, I think it was like 1986 before she launched the Oprah show, really giving myself a whole day to um, absorb and retain content that gives me the fuel I need to move forward with my the work that we were doing at Future for Us. And self-care is basically, you know, I, I have to admit it, you know, I'm a Hawaiian girl. I'm from Hawaii. And every time we ha- I have a big event that happens or something in my life happens, I unashamedly go home to Hawaii because that is very like such a... Um, healing and giving space to me, being back with my family and my friends and being back to the land and the Aina, we call it Aina in Hawaiian, really gives me self-care and centers me and grounds me as a person and reminds me of my values. It's like going to church. (laughs) You know, sometimes I I am lucky to afford that sometimes. Um, So when I do fly back home, that's kind of my self-care is like going back and leaning on my culture again, like thinking about um, how Hawaiians used to live sustainably and how do they build community that way. So that's how I think about how I um, self-care. I love that. I have a very dear friend who who lives in Hawaii and I have learned a lot from her about that. Although I, I feel as though I could learn a lot more from you as well. So thank you for sharing that. It's such a, it's such a beautiful culture. As we're wrapping up, I want to make sure that people have a way to connect with you all. What's the best place for them to do that? The best place for um, our, your audience to connect with us is to visit uh, futureforus.co. So futureforus.co. Uh, sign up for our newsletter. We write a newsletter every week. Um, and it's a special message from both a partner and I about recent news or what we're working on. I think we're pretty funny. So hopefully that's a little joy in your inbox at, you know every week where you can take a breath like knowing 
that somebody feels the same way that you do even when you're at work um, also follow us on instagram at future for us dot now so at future for us dot now so follow our instagram subscribe to our newsletter thank you for inviting us thank you and i'll put all those links in the show notes thank you ladies so much for your time i really appreciate it and for all of your work That's it for this week's episode of Women on the Rise. If you're ready now to wake up with the energy, clarity, and confidence to take on your goals, visit lauradolch.com slash women on the rise to get a few resources I pulled together just for Women on the Rise listeners. For show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit lauradolch.com slash podcast. And if you liked what you heard, please rate and review the podcast in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. It's a huge help to the show and I truly appreciate it. This episode was produced by me with editing help from Dave Nelson at Lens Group Media. Music